Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike Navina, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Today, my guest is Mark Needham. And if you're not familiar with Mark, Mark is an amazing engineer who has a big history in the industry. He's Grammy nominated. He has multiple platinum records. He's a mixing engineer who has worked with artists such as Fleetwood Mac, The Killers, Imagine Dragons, Chris Isaac, Dolly Parton, so many more. He also, in addition to his amazing mix work, he also does artist development as well. So we definitely get into a lot of that in this conversation today because I think it's a really interesting topic that we haven't talked about here before. And this idea of finding artists that you truly believe in and working with them to develop their sound and develop their career get them in the right circles of people, get them connected in the industry and and really being an additional member of that group, you know, whether it's a single artist or whether it's a a band or not, whatever. It's just, you know, working with that person to help develop their sound and help them get better and better, showcase their talents in the best way possible and really help them grow their career. And Mark has definitely done that. He's pretty much responsible for bands like The Killers and Imagine Dragons blowing up. And uh, we get into a lot of that in this conversation here today. So I think you're going to find it really fascinating. And Mark's a great guy. He's got lots of great stories. So let's just jump right into this interview. Mark Needham, thank you so much for being on the Master Mix podcast. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. For people who might not know your history or your background on how you got into music and into mixing and all the awesome stuff that you're working on these days, can you give us that story? Sure, I'll try to make it somewhat brief. I guess <laughs> I, I graduated high school early when I was 16 and went with uh, my guitar teacher down to San Francisco. We started a rock music school down there. Um, and there was an empty closet that we weren't using. And, I, you know, I'd always had tape recorders and, you know, everything that I took apart as I was a guitar player and, became, and played drums after that. But... You know, I was always really into kind of taking my stuff apart and figuring out new ways to hook things together and record stuff. So I started a, a recording studio in this closet uh, with a, I had a Sony tape recorder and one Neumann microphone and a and a two input or four input Altec tube mixer with the treble and bass control. You know, and that was my first studio. <laughs> I just would record acoustic versions of you know of the, of the students who wanted to record some of their songs um i eventually that kind of turned into a contract with this label called kicking mule records which was kind of my first big label deal you know um so i recorded all the kicking mule records with as like steve stefan grossman and duck baker they were ragtime uh, acoustic guitar players so i did God, I can't, I can't remember how many albums with them. A lot, <laughs> um, and you know, the eventually I took over a room downstairs in the school. We built. I had a partner I brought in. We built a eight track tape recorder and built our own console. And eventually, we were making. We were doing more business than the school, so we split off to our own studio and we built our own twenty four track tape recorder and our own console and. Um, you know, I, that was it. You know, I never really had worked as an, I'd never worked as an assistant in a studio or, 
or, you know, I was all just reading books and trying stuff. Oh, that's, yeah, that's I was how ask I about started. that. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I, you know, to to get into all of that stuff and to see that that quick of a trajectory, like you know, a lot of people do follow that traditional path of you know trying to get into a studio as an assistant or that kind of thing. But it sounds like you just kind of learned it all on your own and through trial and error, which is very very cool. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> there were several errors along the way, you know, but. Hey, you need, you need to you need to make those mistakes along the way, right? And we still, I'm sure you still make mistakes. It's like we all we all do, right? It's like yeah. you you have to try things out and see what works, what doesn't, and you know sometimes you get those happy accidents that from then on become your your go to things or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So you were you were teaching? Were you teaching like guitar at that point? You said, uh, I was not teaching guitar. Okay. I was helping run. I came down and was kind of running the audio end of stuff there, you know, because we had, you know, we had all the students would form bands. I would put the, you know, got the PAs together and then started my studio. And then um, I ended up having a, a recording class at the school. At that point, I'd gotten, well, good enough to fool people, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Well, I imagine that, yeah, if you're constantly around musicians who are forming bands and, you know, you happen to have the studio where they're learning their instruments and that kind of stuff, it, it's it's probably a, a pretty good way to get people through the door and, and uh, you know, start start helping people with maybe some of their first recordings. And then from there, you know, they come back and, you know, it just grows from there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing because, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of people who are maybe listening to this and, you know, thinking like, ah, where can I go to start my studio business? Like they want to pursue it, but they're not sure how to do it. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, creating opportunities like that, I think, is really important because, you know, whether whether you thought it was going to take off to the degree it did or, or not. But, you know, I think that's that's a great uh, avenue for people to explore is like, you know, it, 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 it's so skills. much cheaper now for people to set up a studio. I mean. You know, when I started, we, I mean, we actually had to build our own console and, you know, build our own 24 track. We got a couple uh, of old uh, two inch video recorders and, and I had my, I had a partner who had, knew how to run a machine shop and was, was really good at electronics. And we built our own tape recorder because I didn't have $80,000 to buy a tape recorder or a couple, you know, half million to buy a console so we just made our own <laughs> stuff you know now it's pretty affordable for, for people to actually get started and set up a home studio of course of course well yeah i mean it, it sounded like it just grew and grew for you and then it got to the point where you started to work with some some really big artists over those like you know over your career you've worked with like people like uh dolly parton uh chris isaac uh you know lindsey buckingham all that like it sounded like your your career just like was there a, a point in your career where you felt like things just started to really explode for you? I, I mean, my, I remember my first big major label album was with uh, Taj Mahal back in the 70s. And that was kind of like, all right, like I'm doing a record on Warner Brothers with Taj <laughs> Mahal, who I was a big fan of, you know, from the late 60s, you know, and it's like... I'm working with a guy whose records I used to listen to, you know, and, 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 you know, we did two or three records together. I've, you know, I started with Chris pretty early on. I was working with a, a friend of mine, Eric Jacobson, who was an A&R guy at Warner's, the uh, kind of a off the books A&R guy. And um, he had a lot of hits in the sixties 
Dubas, let me think, like, uh, he did uh, oh, Spirit in the Sky, a um, bunch of tunes on that. So I'd, we were working with some of his bands from the 60s, and, um, you know, he was really into finding artists and developing artists. So Chris Isaac was one of the artists that, that we'd gone down to see playing a little punk club, and he, you know, we did some songs. He made, he got him a deal on Warner's, and you know, made all those records with Chris. I don't know, twelve or thirteen, I guess. But you know, I, I just, I started having, you know, more success probably by the late seventies, eighties, and bands like Cake, and you know, uh, just all those San Francisco bands. You know, I've, I've worked with all the, all those guys up there pretty much. Um, and then, you know, moved to LA probably and I was spending more time in Los Angeles, probably in the late nineties than I was in the Bay area. I got an introduction to help finish up a Lindsey Buckingham record from my friend, Rob Cavallo. Uh, and you know, I'd spent almost nine months to a year working with Lindsey on this record, living in a hotel. And then that turned into a double Fleetwood Mac album, and it's like uh, I just I got <laughs> I, I just got to drive back, get a truck, get all my stuff, and move to L.A. and um, and you know had a, a kind of another round of some interesting stuff down here doing development projects, The Killers. Um, I was kind of doing that at the same time as Fleetwood Mac, but. Um, so it's been a fun ride, you know? I don't mean to meander. <laughs> no, no, I love hearing that story. And it, it's interesting because you, you had mentioned the topic of artist development, and I was curious about that. You know, when it comes to that sort of thing, you know, what what do you consider artist development? Like, what's typically involved in that process for you? I mean, I really started doing that after, I mean, I'd worked with Derek Jacobson, and you know, and saw what he was doing through the 60s and early 70s, and um when we had that, I, I noticed when I had that, did that song Wicked Game with Chris Isaac, you know, that had that yeah, guitar sound and all the reverb. And, and so that's all anybody wanted me to do, you know, and I already did that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that again. You know, I figured, I figured out this cool guitar sound and, but all right, I did that. I don't want to do it over and over for the rest of my life. And I was starting to see, uh, you know, engineers, producers who got stuck in those ruts and how they quickly got timed out as things moved on, you know, um, by not just being buried enough in their, you know, in their discography and their methods of recording, of doing stuff. So I started kind of, I really started working on developing bands just to have something else on my that I could take in and play for label guys because I, you know, it's like, well, I can also, I mean, I, I, I recorded and produced um, probably 40 or 50 albums on Teresa records, which was a jazz label. So we worked with Pharaoh Saunders and, uh, you know, just at Adderley, all, you know, all these different jazz artists. Um, I'd had, you know, the history doing, Right time acoustic, you know, I'd done, I'd done a lot of different styles of music from classical to to ragtime to jazz to rock to, so you know, I I I wanted to keep that. Uh, I just wanted to keep a wider vision in where I was going, and the best way for me to do that, to me, seemed to be just to record stuff that I thought was cool, 
and use that if I'm meeting with label guys. Hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And, you know, that way you're not coming into a label. Also, you're not going in for label meetings. This was back when label meetings were very important. You're not going in and just begging for work. I'm coming in and going, yeah, I've got this band, this band, and this band are all things that we're, you know, I'm in the process of developing. So it gives you a reason to be in the office and play them stuff that they might not realize, you know, they, they, they think you're the, the Chris Isaac guitar sound guy and that's it, you know, and you play them four or five different things. They go, oh God, but I, you know, I don't know if I want to sign that, but I got another band that's, that, you know, I love the way this thing sounds. I got a band that's kind of like it, but you know, so it was it was an easier way to go in and have those meetings and not just be the goofball going in. You got any albums for me to mix? You know, <laughs> well, nothing that sounds like Chris Isaac today, but you know, <laughs> I love that though. I think that that's such a great approach to to just making to showing your value to to the labels, right? Because like so many people are fighting for those same gigs, but to be that person that can say like, "Look, I know I'm good at this, but also like I've got this additional talent that." you guys might find help like you guys might want to work with and you know you can see that i'm like diverse with the people i work with like i think that that just really keeps you top of mind and shows your value and because of that you know it, it makes you stand out versus everyone else that's fighting the, for those same gigs i mean i'm teaching i i mentor at usc um here in los angeles and i was just talking with my with my mentee uh, the other day, he's graduating in three weeks. It's like, well, what am I going to do? You know, it's like, go to K-Rock and get the locals only bands and check out all their music. Go down and see them live and just go up and, you know, the best way to really start building a, a career and get your name known is just record like a lot of bands, you know, and find a bunch of cool bands and record them because bands talking to other bands and playing, you know, playing their tracks. Hey, listen to what we just did. God, who recorded that? It sounds awesome, you know. But bands talking to bands, uh, you know, to me has always been a really proven way of just bringing more stuff through the door and cool stuff through the door. For sure. Yeah, and, uh, you know, cool bands tend to hang out in cool band circles, I guess, you know, like yeah. hopefully, right? Because <laughs> if, they're, if they're onto something cool, then they try to book gigs with other bands that are in a similar style, that kind of thing. So it, you'll find a whole, those Yeah, those it's people. a whole other communication network going on outside of, you know, that, that, that's out of, out, outside of the circles of the general public and stuff. You know, it's bands talking to bands on tour backstage and, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and people just have to take that chance. And, you know, it's it's almost like there's this um, a lot of people are afraid to talk to people, it, it, you know, at, at a show or whatever. And it doesn't take much. You know, all, all it takes to start a conversation is just like great show. You know, like that, that's all it takes to, to get into a conversation with someone and then, you know, see how well you connect. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people feel like it's like like dating or something like that. Like you're trying to pick someone up at a bar and you're afraid to talk well, I, to them, right? <laughs> I, I totally understand because I've, I was, you know, I was always really nervous about going up and like starting to talk to a band and, you know, yeah, it's like dating. And, you know, if I just made, all right, I just got to go up and say, Hey, I'm Mark Needham. I, you know, I really loved your set, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've worked with these, you know, some of these people. If you ever need any help, let me know, you know, here's, here's my card, here's my info, here's my number, whatever, you know? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it does. see, everyone listening, it doesn't take much. You just have to make that first attempt, you know, and, and uh, 
you might get some rejection along the way, but it's probably unlikely. So it, just it doesn't hurt that bad. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's the worst that happens? Like a band needs to go to like unload their gear. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's not hurting your feelings, really. <laughs> so as far as the artist development side of things goes, then how are you developing them? Like what is typically involved in that process for you? You know, it varies from artist to artist on our development stuff. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've done some that were just, uh, you know, stuff that they'd recorded that I helped, you know, they brought to me, we mixed, uh, made arrangement changes, whatever, to working from the beginning on songs, arrangements, and recording the whole thing, you know. And, you know, over over the years, we've actually had, like, some uh, pretty phenomenal success in the amount of bands that we've signed. And we've had some that that really blew up and did well that that we had those kind of development contracts with the killers, imagine dragons, neon tree, you know? Um, so, you know, I mean, 20 something years later with the killers, I, you know, my contract on that record is still worth a a boatload of money. (laughs) You know what I mean? I can sell those rights. I can, um, so I've had a few of those that have, turned out to be long-term successes and besides all the work and money that they brought in it's also you know it's been a great calling card for other artists and uh, you know at this point i'm able to sell some of those rights if i want you know it's uh it's been a, it's been a you know it's a been a fantastic thing i'm so glad that i've that i went that direction early on for sure. So then how would you distinguish artist development from just being a producer then? Is it more that you're invested in the band? Or are you doing these projects for free? Yeah, and, well, and I'm like- not I'm not I'm not sitting around waiting for somebody to, to bring me a cool band on a label, you know. Mm-hmm. I I have just from doing this so long, I have you know, I have connections all over the country and all over the world uh, of people who like know that I've done this and been pretty successful at it and they you know i get sent a lot of bands every day i listen to everything i you know it i can figure out pr- pretty early on if, in a song if this is something i think there's there's something cool here you know just is the voice what are the lyrics what's the melodies like is there something that really just grabs you you know i mean for sure the first time i heard dan from imagine dragons saying they asked me to come over it I had a history with them through the Killers already with 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 the Reynolds and you know they asked me to come over to a show at uh, in Fremont Street in Las Vegas. I think there was more people on stage than there were in the audience because they had <laughs> more members in the band at that point. And but from the the first fifteen said twenty seconds of Dan singing, it was just like oh my god, this guy just he sells believability. You know, mm-hmm. he just he sucks people in because he just it's just so believable is in his voice, his delivery and the stories. Um, so I, you know, it was like, I, I put my hand up, I'm in, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, obviously you, like you said, you've got lots of connections in the industry and, and a lot of people are coming to you trying to pitch themselves or pitch their artists. Um, so again, as far as like the, like the production side versus like the development side, like when you're developing side, when you're developing in an artist, is that more like, you're just doing these, you're going to produce these bands, you're going to record them kind of for free or or like with a contractual 
agreement that, you know, maybe if the band blows up, you get some sort of percentage on the back end. Or is, right. it, is it that kind of arrangement versus just like them paying you an upfront fee and then? No, they don't pay upfront. Okay. I usually am okay. fronting the costs on stuff like that. And gotcha. sometimes, sometimes I'm in from the get on everything, the writing, writing arrangement, producing. Sometimes I'm partnering. I, you know, I have a band on Hollywood records, um, almost Monday. Um, and I, I brought in a f- uh, friend of mine I met at a, at a backstage at a Killers show because um, he'd played me some of his songs. You know, he's a young he was a young pr- producer from New Zealand, um, and I heard his stuff and went, "Oh man, I got this other band. I've got this band I'm developing. I put the put them together. First song they they co-wrote together was like, oh, this is this is magic. You know, these they, these they were meant to be together and." So, you know, sometimes I partner with people on those, you know, it's, uh, I just try to do what I think is best for the artist and, and to be able to see if we can come up with something that can become a worldwide, you know, a worldwide band or a worldwide artist or, you know, a song that that has impact. I I love to have a hundred million people listen to something that, that I did versus 20,000 or a thousand, you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. It's just that that's cooler to me that you impacted a bunch of people's. You know, they'll hear that song twenty years from now, and then say it'll take take them back to that time in their childhood, or so. You know, or in their of course, yeah. That, that's very cool. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, if you if you if you find a band that you truly believe is going to be like a really next like the next big thing, like you know, rather than trying to sell your services to them and say, hey, I'll record your band for X amount of money, it's like. If, if you could be that person that could step up to the plate and be like, look, I believe in you so much that I can inv- I'll invest my time, my efforts, my energy, uh, in my resources into your band, like you're you're then becoming a, a like an almost like a additional member of that band to some degree. And you're really providing a lot more value to them so that, you know, they, they're going to they're going to bring you up with with them, you know, when when they become as big as they are and, and vice versa, too. You're going to be helping them out because you've got the connections as well. So, I, th- I mean, I li- I, I've lived very very much on the edge financially sometimes doing stuff like that. But I'll make my manager, my wife very nervous. <laughs> like, oh, my God, what are you doing? I don't really like this bit. You know, but it's like I, if I believe in something, I just I, I try to go all in. And in the long term, just doing stuff that I really like, you know, rather than trying to – I don't I don't really care what's on the a hit on the radio right now or, you know, mm-hmm. just doing stuff that I really like and – makes you know that that i think is good as you know i've had more success doing that than trying to follow trends you know for sure yeah i love that i love hearing stories of people who truly believe in a band so much that you know they they do put that effort into to helping that band get to that next level like one of my early mentors was uh jack richardson i'm not sure if you're familiar with jack but he he discovered the guess who and he he told me the story of like putting his house like he re- remortgaged his house just to fund their debut record because he like believed in them so much and then you know american woman and all that stuff came out and you know it was like massive massive project for him um but yeah, you know, it, it always amazes me to hear stories of people that, you know, truly believe in someone so much that they, you know, put all this effort into it. And, you know, it goes to show like, I mean, if you could, you have to trust your gut a lot, you know, and, and really believe in it to, to pursue it. You also have to know when to call it quit. Of course, too. That's, that's a really good point. I, I see people who, who start doing the artist development thing and they really believe in something. And I'm looking at it and going, 
you know, man, <laughs> it was t- you should have cut the cord a year ago. Yeah, you know, this is it. You know, it's not it's not working. So, so with that said, then, what would be some of your advice for people who are thinking of, about getting into artist development to to identify like when maybe the artist that they're working with isn't the right person or to to keep going with or investing into? I mean, to me, it's always about. You know, I'm looking for that artist that just has total believability in their delivery and they have a message that's, that's wide enough, but just cool enough that a lot of people can make it their own story, you know, mm-hmm. um, without being overly too self-centric. I, does that make sense? You yeah, know, yeah. like, do you want a story, you want to be able to tell your story, but make it broad enough that, you know, 50 million or 150 million people can make it their story. Um, you have to know that that artist is going to work as harder, harder than you, you know, it's just, I mean, there's just a lot of different things that, you know, how hard are, how hard are they all going to work? Are they, they, are they working their, now, are they working their social media? You know, somebody having a baby and is this, how's this going to interfere? Is their, is their family going to be supportive? You know, yeah, I mean, how bad do they want it? And do they know who they are? You know, I had an artist I was developing who asked me at one point, like, who I wanted her to sound like when we were doing vocals. Like, I was trying to get her to really be her. And she asked, well, who do you want me to sound like? I was like, oh, I think this is over with. <laughs> you know, I was like, ding. Uh, if, you, if, you don't know who you, if you don't know who you are internally, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, I was trying trying to get her to that point. It just you know, it's but it's not a big deal. I mean, it's you know, it's maybe this isn't the best thing right now. I don't want to work with somebody that I don't totally believe in because then I'm not going to give them for sure really give them my my full commitment, and I don't want to waste their time or my time. You know, if, if if this isn't working with me, maybe there's somebody else out there who will you know bring this to where it needs to be. You know. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that those people aren't writing good songs or that they're not talented or anything like that. It's just that maybe as far, you know, as far as your long term investment with that artist, like you can see the writing on the wall that they're not going to pursue it to the degree that you feel like they, they could. So, yeah, that, that makes or at least not, not at least not with me and what we're doing right now. You know, the, Fair. Hey, yeah. let's just, you know, let's just part friends and let's see if you get, you know, I mean, I'm just not the right guy, you know. Yeah, I'm not absolutely. bringing it out in you, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I think that that's really important to share with people because they, they need to hear that, yeah, not every project that you believe in is going to be uh, a massive success. And, and you have to see those the puzzle pieces all the way through to, to see, you know, whether or not it's going to come together and actually be something that be, be what you believe it could be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's awesome. Um, so then as far as the developing side of things goes and, and with the the writing, you had mentioned, you know, helping people with arrangements and that kind of stuff. What advice would you give to people to improve their songwriting? Like what kind of issues are you typically seeing from the songwriting perspective when you're developing these artists? Arrangements, you know, a, a lot of odd arrangement stuff that's like, you know, I mean, changing up arrangements and making them not quite so stock as a group as can be great and cool. I, I also have to shape it a bit to a target that I can, that I know label or radio people are going to respond to. You know, I have a lot of song, uh, co-writers that I work with around the country. Um, so I try to try to pair people up as well. And, you know, on those, and, and those kind of development things. And, 
see if I can find a writer that can really help find that artist's voice. Finding a song like Mr. Brightside, which is just such a, you know, Brandon was such a great songwriter and his delivery was so believable. You know, lyrically, it's dreaming about finding your girlfriend with another guy, kind of thing. But he, he does this, he spins that story in such a way, you know, it became like a, a worldwide anthem. Of course. Yeah, it's just and, like, it was and, a catchy and, melody, you know, catchy song. And, and, and rather the chorus being, you know, you know, that, that, that shithead, I know she's not screwing another guy. It's, <laughs> you know, it's I'm Mr. Brightside. You know, he came up with a clever way to frame those concerns, uh, that paranoia in his head. I don't, a lot of people don't spend really enough time, I think, on, on lyrics and really making clever lyrics and without those super clever lyrics that really you know it's it's harder for something to become a song that lasts for 20 years or or you know that has that amazing longevity unless you'd really have a lyric message that hooks people in and they can and, and can make they can make their own story of course and i guess there, there's kind of two extremes with it right there's the people that make song lyrics that are just like super simple super blunt and then there's the other side of it where it's like people who are like really going deep with metaphors and stuff like that and you can't understand what they're saying at all so it's like it's kind of finding that middle ground where it's like it's not so dumbed down that you know it's like kind of cheesy writing versus you know it it, it still has to be relatable to people right yeah, it's a crooked road, and it's easy to stray like off into the the ditch on the left or the right. You know, the, I you know, hopefully with developing artists, I try to bring them a little. You know, try to keep them going down the middle of the road in some. You know, but in a cool, it's got to be just cool. You know, it, it, it it's got to be cool and believable, and from their heart. Of course, it sounds like a lot of the artists that you work with, or at least one of the stipulations that you would have is that these people have an open mind to experimenting and and trying things, right? Because there's some artists that are are just so like, this is the way I do things, this is my my approach, and and that sounds like it wouldn't quite work in an artist development situation very well. I mean, it would if they what they were doing was like, this is golden, you know. I like what I don't need to do. All they need to record it is do is record this and and get a cool mix that helps elevate the emotionally what they're trying to get across Mm -hmm. and you know if i don't have to if i don't have to say if i got nothing to complain about then it's you know but (laughs) you got to be open to you have to be open to having a conversation and so many you know i see so many bands i've been in so many sessions with bands who spend five hours and break up over you know discussing what doing a song one way or the other way like they're you know an eight-bar section of a song, and you know, it's a, in in literally ten minutes, you can record it both ways and listen. And if it's not, it's usually pretty obvious immediately. Yeah. If not, you know, listen to it. To, put it to the side and listen to it the the next morning. You know, it, it this it's things like that are usually pretty obvious and pretty clear, and people don't. They get off on these metaphysical discussions about stuff, and it's like, well, let's just record it this way, record it that way, and then live with it for a minute. You know, um, I don't try to, you know, make somebody something that they're not. You know, I just want to, I want to try to broaden their horizons a bit, but not always. Sometimes, you know, bands come in pretty well, or artists come in, and they're pretty well, fairly formed, and it's, you know, I mean, this is 
this is cool. This is ready to go. There's really not much to do, but try to make it sound, you know, find a cool way to record it. I mean, the killers were that way. We had stuff to say to the band and ideas on songs and certainly experimenting with some sound stuff and different ways to record. But, mm -hmm. I mean, overall, the stuff was, you know, it's like, well, God, this is this is what it is. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that point that you brought up. It's just like it, it takes 10 minutes to do it two ways, you know, to record it two ways and just see which which way sounds best. And, yeah, if you do need to sit on it, so be it. If you need to show it to some other people to get a extra opinion, then do it. You know, it doesn't take much to to at least have those options presented in front of you and to get in a get a different of different opinion, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no rules. Just try things. To try if you. I mean, don't get bogged down in that stuff. People ask me if you know, hey, could we try blah blah blah, or do you think that's crazy? It's like, well. Uh, Maybe I think it's crazy and wrong, but let's try it anyhow. <laughs> you know, I you know, that really it took, takes me three minutes. Okay, so I'm like that. Oh, you know, oh damn, that's just, that's actually really wrong, or that that's kind of <laughs> cool. You know, so. yeah, I love it. <laughs> I'd love to uh, shift a little bit into some of your mixing work because you're, you're an amazing mixing engineer as well, and and you've done lots of amazing projects. Um, and I'm curious to know, like. With your work with bands like Imagine Dragons, like a lot of it feels very cinematic, very ambient. And I'm, I'm curious to know, like when it comes to creating records like that, how do you go about creating that ambience? Like, how do you decide, like, you know, which tools you're going to use, how to how to create that that space and that, and that size in your mixes? You know, I mean, I just, I, you know, I listen to the song. I mean, you know, depending on what band it is, I mean, I listen to the song and, um, Maybe I feel like creating a bigger space around it on like with the dragons or a band like Cake, you know, we had everything completely dry and almost no compression on. But, you know, like trying to create that space. I mean, I just listen to the song and listen to the words on the song. And it doesn't have to be the same for every song on a record, but I just listen, listen to the song and I hear ideas in my head and, I've, I guess I've done this long enough, you know, like 50 years that I can, if I hear something in my head, I can, I can pretty much always figure out how to create it. Mm -hmm. I know what all these different reverbs and halls and, you know, room simulations sound like. And but before all that stuff existed, I used to figure out how to just make it with the rooms that I had, that I was in, you know? So, you know, I've, if I hear something, in my head, I can make it translate to, you know, to the speakers really fast, usually pretty fast. Gotcha. Do you have any, like, go-to reverbs that you tend to use? If I do, I, I usually stop doing it if I start going to something too much. Okay. You know, <laughs> I, I just don't like to do this. I try to figure out different ways to do things a lot, you know, so I don't get, again, don't get stuck in ruts. But, I mean, I use... Yeah, I'm a UAD artist. I love I, I love UAD stuff, and I use you know all all of their reverbs. Um, I still have some like I go back to back to revive for spring reverbs. Sometimes I use you know I use all, I, there's a lot of altiverb stuff I use. I, whatever I think will will we'll get what I'm hearing in my head, you know, and mm -hmm. I make up my own you know, weird combinations of stuff, you know, all the time. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, you're having fun with it and you're, you're creating 
Well, I, I guess to go like earlier, you said that when you didn't have those tools, you you figured out a way of making them. So yeah, you you probably could work with any tool and make it do what you needed to do, right? <laughs> well, there's always like, you know, you have one reverb, but you could make it, you know, shorter, longer. You could EQ it. You can have different compression on it. You can, uh, you know, you can have pre-delays that go to a pre-delays then get and then gating off the end of the show. You know, there's just a, there's a million ways to take any one or two tools and have them do, you know, 50,000 different jobs. I think, you know, I, I mean, I had to figure out how to do that stuff when I was still on analog all the time, how I'm going to come up with this kind of room sound or just pushing stuff to the extremes, I guess, is one way to to try to use those tools, especially in the digital world. I mean, if I get a new plugin, the first thing I like to do is like turn all the knobs all the way up or <laughs> in weird, whatever weird configuration and see what, to see what odd things it can do, you know? Yeah, just hear those extremes when it's all the way up, all the way down, and then find the stuff in between that works. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, another element that I was curious to ask you about when it comes to your mixes is the drum sounds. And I think you do a great job with your drums. And uh, one element that I hear uh, you often do is you'll blend in like samples along with like, the sound of live drums. Am I, am I right in that? I'm, I'm hearing some samples in there. Yeah, right it depends on the song. I mean, you know, I, I, again, I still I do a lot of stuff. I just did a I just did a Latin jazz record that I'm that I was working with a friend of mine on. So on that, what you know, it's all supernatural kind of sound. But um, I've been doing I've been blending stuff like that, making combinations of machine drum, live drum blends for a long time. Mm -hmm. So then, when you're doing a mix, like how much of the samples are usually sent to you in in the sessions that you get? Versus like what you're adding, I, I guess it depends on what style of music it is that you're working. You know, with. yeah, that 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 depends on who recorded and did the initial production. Sometimes on the, you know, I'll get I'll get a session with seven kick drums where they have trying to do something with these different drums creating a you know a pattern. But there's the, there's so many phase issues going on that. You know, it's like the, <laughs> you know, every third or fourth kick drum completely disappears. And, you know, uh, so I, I mean, sometimes I'll go back and just recreate that with my own. If it, if theirs is too difficult to fix, I'll just go back and create my own. I have a lot of, I mean, I have years and years of samples. Whenever I do something that I think is cool, I usually just, you know, oh, that's a cool snare or that's a cool kick sound or what whatever that is, I just I just cut it and sample it to my hard drive. You know, it's a great idea. Yeah, then you get all you get tons of uh, tons of samples to work with in the future, so you can always pull back pull pull those up. Yeah, again like need, I'm right? recording stuff and I get a like a live drum sound. That I think that I think is super awesome. I did one this album. I was working with uh, Matt Chamberlain on. Um, a couple maybe a year ago i have a couple different things i've done with matt but like we were trying trying different drums and and had this one kind of really open big kick drum that's just like oh my god all right i'm gonna use that somewhere <laughs> else too you know um so you know just over the years i accumulate everything if anytime i think something that's cool or unique i just try to save it that's very cool so then as far as implementing samples into your into your sound 
how do you decide what samples to use? Like, do you, do you have a, a philosophy on that or, or an approach to it that you like to follow? Again, I just, I just listen to the song and I usually know, you know, I got to kind of know what most of those sounds are that I have in, in all my sample drives. And there's a lot of, it's hard to go back and remember like, ah, I don't know, but I usually have a pretty good idea in my head and I'll grab, uh, they like these three, you know, kicks or whatever. And, oh, well, this one works cool or a blend of these three or something. But I usually have a pretty good idea in my head just to, I know what I have on my sample drive, you know. Gotcha. And again, I, you know, I usually try to just get, you know, if I'm listening to a song, I try to have just a vision in my head what it where it should go and and i try taking it there and if that doesn't work i go all right well let's what would another thought be let's take it to this okay <laughs> yeah well I, I think that that's a important point that you bring up too of just like having that vision and really you know people when you're mixing you, you have to have that vision of what the end result's going to be if you're just kind of throwing things at it to see what sticks it's it's going to become sloppy very quickly and you know, it's going to take you forever to finish. So having that, that vision is definitely important, right? I mean, you know, it might be a good idea for people, for, you know, people who are just starting at this to just try to, try to learn, learn how to hear, hear the sound on a song. How can I create that? You know, this is an exercise. I mean, I've done that for years. Um, and just get where you can get to the point where if you hear, you know, you ha if you can hear it in your head, you can just make it quickly happen in the speakers. And, and, you know, I also tell people not to get quite so bogged down in all the different choices. Which compressors am I going to use? It's like, all right, I know I want to use, I want the vocal to sound like this. I'll use this compressor set kind of this way. I know in my head what that'll do to that voice. And, use, you know, 98% of the time I'm pretty close to right. Um, you know, I've, I've been friends with Chris Algae for years. And, you know, it's like... Just, you know, just commit, just make a decision. <laughs> you know, I would, I'm kind of the same philosophy. Just, you know, I, I, I know what I want it to sound like. And let's just fit, let, let, let me just quickly put that together and go, oh, this is cooler. How about I can go back and approach it a little more? Uh, let me go t veer 20 degrees to the right or something. Um, but so, so I can usually put a song together pretty fast and see if this is the, the direction I think it should go. I'll, sometimes I'll get a ref out early to an artist and go, you know, rather than just presenting them with, well, here's your finished mix. I try to, so, you know, especially more now where a lot, most very few mixes are in person. Um, I try to get the artist involved pretty early. Like here's kind of a ref of where I was going you know, yeah, could we go a little more blah, blah, blah. Let me, you know, so I, I try to, so that way I don't invest the time to getting this, you know, working really hard to finish up a mix that's a certain way. And then you get so, well, I don't really, that's just not the vision I had for this, you know? Mm -hmm. But I like that approach of consulting with the artists and showing them your references and, and, you know, making sure everyone's on the same page because, yeah, going into a project, whether you're producing it or you're just mixing it or whatever, it's like it's good to know where people's heads are at, what kind of things they like and, and what they don't like. That way you can get those yeah, results well, faster. I mean, I'm not mixing my song. 
you know. <laughs> if I mean, if I want to just mix my song, I'll just make my own song and do it, you know. Um, so, you know, I, well, I like to keep the artist involved as part of the decision making, uh, you know, on, you know, getting into really specific things of how to accomplish something that I usually just do on my own in my head. But, but I like, you know, I'm mixing their song and I want, I want, I want the artist to feel that that's invoking the emotion that they wanted, you know, that the sound of the song is in, evoking the emotion or supporting the emotion that they're trying to get across for sure and i guess there's also another balance when you're when you are coming up with that vision and referencing other material there is also that balance of um you know keeping the artist's original sound and you know making them sound unique versus like completely chasing sounds from a different record and and like trying to make the artist sound like that other artist right there's kind of that happy middle ground there where you know, you, you can kind of take ideas from certain genres or to certain references. and Yeah, I mean, people send me songs to reference, like, oh, we want to sound like so-and-so. And I usually just do what I do first, and then I'll go back and reference <laughs> that. I, I don't, like, I don't, I never start a mix trying to sound like like another artist that's on the radio or vintage artist. or I, I don't ever really start in my head trying to make it sound like, like somebody else. Yeah. That, that seems For silly sure. to me. Yeah. And it, it also kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier with like the singer saying like, who do I sound like? Or who do you want me to sound like? You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it's like, you're missing the point. Like you're the unique artist here. Like, you know, we want you to yeah, sound like, a little different. I, mean, I, I don't know that you too was really referencing anybody when they went or Sly Stone was sitting referencing, like, I want to be exactly like blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, I mean, Tom Petty, whatever, any other, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. just, uh, the Eagles, were to, I mean, certainly they're all pulling from things that they've heard, but their vision isn't to go out and sound like another band that's on the radio right now. I mean, that's like <laughs> a recipe for disaster, I think. Of course. <laughs> I love it. Um, you, you'd another- like to, I, I would, would always rather be, I would like to be the, put out the song that everybody else is trying to follow for the next five years rather than than listening to Spotify and trying to sound like whatever the current thing is. You know, you want to, you want to be the person everybody else is trying to be. Of course. And and by the time you actually get, if if you are chasing a certain sound or you're chasing whatever the big single is now, it's like by the time you actually get that song out, people have moved on. They found something else. So Yeah, well that song was done it was done maybe a year ago and and yours will be you know, it'll be a whole different I mean you'd rather, it's always better to try to be out there on the cutting edge, I think. I agree with that for sure. Um another element of your mixes that I was curious to ask you about was um again in relation to your drums, I, I think more specifically, um I hear like in the heavier rock stuff you tend to use saturation on your drums. Is is am I correct in hearing that? A lot of times I do, uh, you know, again, not if I'm going for that sound, yeah, I'm using, I'll saturate stuff. I mean, distortion's a, a cool tool to use to get more harmonics on stuff. Um, so, you know, if I'm trying to get something that really has that kind of impact, yeah, I distort stuff. I mean, some things I don't at all, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and like some of the Imagine Dragon stuff, like I feel like it, it just sounds like really big and like uh, you know, kind of um, 
I can hear like a little saturation in there, but it adds like character to the to the stuff to make it feel a lot bigger. I was just mixing a song for uh, uh, producer in the UK that I've been doing some a lot of stuff with, and from his ref mix, I just didn't understand what he was trying to do in the cor- chorus. I'm listening to the ref mix, and it's really kind of clean and. And finally, went, you know, like that stomp in one of the some of Mansion Dragons. When I went, oh well, this I put a V seventy six, you know, throw that in my drum side side chain or my my drum parallel compression bus and beat that shit out of it, you know. <laughs> um, and it was like, oh, okay, well, that's exactly what I wanted. He <laughs> sent me an email before we got on. It's like, oh my god, that's it. That you know. Well, I mean, you're the guy to go for that then if he's got that reference, you know, <laughs> you know, if it's add, even adding a sample of it or something like that in there, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of guys who use that from console distortion to we used to always record bass. We used to do a lot of bass stuff through a 1073 and just crank the gain stage all the way up. So it just started really starting to saturate to bass. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. been, you know, people have been doing that for since rock and roll started, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool tool that makes things, you know, to take, add more harmonics and more aggression to stuff. For sure. So then when you're using saturation, you know, what, what sort of effect are you typically trying to achieve with it? I mean, it's also song dependent to me because there's so many different things I can use to get, I've got a hundred different plugins that'll give me distortion you know, and it's uh, whether I'm looking for something that's just, I mean, I use that, I've, I used a lot of the UAD stuff, the, the V76, some of those preamp distortions. Um, there's, I have a ton of different, like, just weird little pedal distortion plugins um, that I use on a lot of stuff. I've been using one, like the Black Op one, I've been using on vocals on a record I was doing. Um, the thermonic uh, culture vulture is great. You know, decapitators. Always, I don't use that as much as I used to, but it's always a good, solid go-to. I mean, with a lot of the the new emulations of of plugins, just taking a compressor and cranking it all the way up actually achieves because that you know they're usually if they're emulating these plugins now they do it really just overdrive, you know, so if you're, they do it at all different forms of the input level. Um, so there's, I mean, there's just so many ways to overdrive stuff. I just, I mean, like I said, if you ever get, whenever I get a new plug, you just, well, let's see if we turn everything up, you know, yeah. and it's all the way down this way, but, you know, just go through all your, all your different plugins and try them at, you know, very little in the extreme, in the most extreme. And, you know, you can do some cool stuff in between those and just know what that stuff sounds like in your head and be able to, so that way you can make that choice that this distortion is going to be something subtle that works on this. I mean, like for that, you know, that big distorted stomp thing, there's a V76 works well because it can really, you can really saturate, but it, the bottom end doesn't go away. It mm-hmm. just adds that, that super tough thing you know in the upper mid-range the upper mid-range harmonics on that on that stomp or that kick that really allows it to cut through with that you know that's you know that thing yeah for sure that yeah that's awesome i love that and and 
it, it it's pretty cool what you can get away with sometimes when you like like you said just like if you crank up all your your knobs on your compressor or whatever it is like you it'll, you can find some surprising effects that can be really handy at some point i mean i use a com- console emulation in part of my stereo bus where you can really over get that overdriven console i mean there's so many great mixers who have done that for years just you know if, if if you look at their stereo butts on the console, it's just slammed, you know. Um, man, he's great at that, you know. There's uh, so I mean, there's all those, you know. There's so many different places you can introduce that kind of harmonic stuff uh, as an overall thing, or just on particular instruments. That just you know, it's a way of adding some different harmonics to stuff and they can be really jagged or they can be smoother harmonics they can be second you know second order third order but you know know, to me just sit for two hours and with a vocal guitar a bass and a drum and just like well what if i do this you know so you just have you have a hundred new scenarios in your brain that hopefully you can go to when you hear a specific song and and want to achieve that particular sound at a spot in a song I love that. Yeah, it's like it's like almost like just spend some time almost trying to break your gear or use it the wrong way to hear just like what's possible with it. <laughs> I mean, I mix I mix so many songs per year that I have a lot of different scenarios in my brain that I can go back to, you know, or things that I tried on something that maybe didn't even work. I remember, oh, I, I, did, I tried this on that on such and such a song you know the band hated it but i know it'd be cool for this you know because <laughs> i you know i mean i'd probably do at least 300 songs a year uh, you know every year for yeah. the past 30 years or something that's yeah that's a lot so yeah you definitely i mean especially with digital recording it's like it's so easy to just save a preset when you find something cool right save your channel yeah I, and- I, you know besides my saving stuff to my sample drive i save I save a lot of presets of stuff that I just saved one the other day that I was like, oh, this is a super cool vocal sound for this. Um, so, yeah, I just I just save that stuff as little markers that makes it easy to go back to. I love it. I love that, you know, so many years into this, you're still experimenting, still learning, still trying to find new things and new sounds. And, yeah, that's amazing. I, I think that that... Uh, Speaks to speaks to your your time in this in this industry and how you've been able to have such a long successful career with this. My number one goal is to like have a lot of fun making music. You know, <laughs> um, it's nice I get paid for it as well. Um, but that's kind of been my goal since I started, just to have God bless all the bands and, and fans who bought this stuff over the years. You know, the stuff that I've done because I, I get paid to just sit here and have have fun every day for sure i love it and it, it kind of sounds like you, you you take that philosophy and you apply it to everything you do whether it's you know finding a new artist and having fun like just enjoying their music and believing in that person or if it's on the mixing side of it and experimenting with stuff there and having fun with it um it sounds like you're, you're just trying to have fun doing it and not treat it like it's as much of a job and just enjoy it and i think that's you know that's definitely a big thing that uh keeps people in this long term, you know, because if, if you do start to get to that point where you're not having fun, it's what's the point, right? You just, yeah, you're be miserable I mean, with it. and it's not like I'm a heart surgeon. If, you know, if I try something that doesn't work, somebody doesn't die on the table, you know, I'm like, well, all right, you know, just 
go back, we'll go back and do it again a different way, you know? <laughs> right on, for sure. I love that. Well, Mark, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know you probably got a ton of stuff on your plate today. But um, if people want to learn more about you or follow you online, what's the best place for them to do that? Just markneedham.com is, uh, is our website. And you can reach out to us through the website there or uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that as well. Awesome. But if you want to send a message, there's contact at, at contact at markneedham.com and that's on the website. Perfect. Awesome. Well, again, Mark, you thank, thank you so much for doing this. And I think you shared a lot of uh, great advice here. And I think, you know, as far as the, uh, you know, things like the artist development side of things goes, I think, you know, there's a lot of great stuff that people are going to take from that. And even as far as the mixing side of it goes, like a lot of a lot of great tips you shared there, too. So uh, I do really appreciate you being on here today. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Right on. So that was my conversation with Mark Needham, and it was great to hear Mark's philosophies on artist development and all of the things that go into it. And I thought that he brought up some really good points about finding the right artists and finding the people that are truly worth investing your time and your resources with. Because, you know, there are a lot of people that are very talented out there, but it's finding the right people who you truly believe you can help them get to that next level with. And also that they believe themselves that they can get to that next level and they're willing to put in that time and effort so that you can mutually work towards a similar goal. I also thought that Mark brought up some really good points about ways to get clients through the door and to diversify your clientele. You know, I love what he was saying about how he didn't want to just be known as the guy who did the Chris Isaac sound and how part of his efforts to diversify his sound and to diversify what he was known for was to find some of these artists and to show that he believed in them and to invest his skills into it to develop them. I think that these are just some really cool approaches that if you're thinking about how to grow your studio business and what kind of things you can do to make sure that you're attracting the right people or the right sound or, or keeping yourself diverse, I think there's a lot of great tips that Mark shared in this interview. So you'll definitely want to go back and listen to this and start to implement a lot of these things into your own process. So I hope that you found that interview very helpful, that you got a lot of great ideas from it. And yeah, Mark is just amazing. He's got such a great history in this industry. So definitely someone whose advice you're going to want to try to implement. So with that said, if you did enjoy this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live, because we've got so many great episodes lined up for you with a lot of other great tips that you can implement to help you with your recordings and to help you with your mixes. And speaking of that, you're definitely going to want to check out MasterYourMix.com. That is another great resource for you to check out where on that website, I help out musicians with creating pro sounding recordings from their home studios, helping you get the clarity that you need so that you can create music that sounds the way you hear it in your head. And on that website, I've got tons of great resources, everything from books to courses to coaching programs. So there's some freebies on there. You definitely want to check it out. And one resource that you should definitely check out while you're there is called The Mixing Mindset. This is a book that I put out a few years ago that really breaks down the process of mixing, makes it very step-by-step -step for you, very straightforward, so that you know what to be listening for, what steps to follow, what things to do in what order, how to dial in settings to get that sound that you ultimately want. So definitely check that out. It's called The Mixing Mindset, and it's available at Master Your Mix. Com. So that is it for this episode today. Thank you so much for sticking around to the very end, and I look forward to chatting with you in the next one. Take care. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.